0: Hey, it's uh, it's our true honor and privilege uh, to have the Vaughn family with us, so Adam, why don't you come on up here, and I know um, at the end of service, he may call up others, and Kelly, and maybe the children, if, if they wish, but um, this family is just so dear to us, um, they are so valuable to us, but they're so valuable to the kingdom, and, and just their yes, that's what I was thinking about last night when we left, like, <laughs> their yes was so sacrificial, and... Um, Man, the humility that they walk in, and just so you know a little bit about them, because he's not going to brag on himself, because I know this man too well. Um, th- this family basically left everything in the U.S., uh, dropped everything they were doing to, to answer a call and a mandate the Lord put on them to, to go to Costa Rica. And honestly, like if you look at their website, they call themselves the Backwards Missionaries because everything was just reversed and backwards. They didn't have a plan. They literally didn't even know where they were going initially. They show up to this area. I believe it was you and your daughter, right? One of the initial trips. And he's like, yep, this is it. Buy a house, and they just go for it. So with a shipping container, the entire family, they just move there and start a new life to, to, to reach people and just to spread God's goodness and his love. And, um, man, I'm just humbled and honored to have you guys here. As I shared the first service, there's a lot of good, cool titles about them, pastors, missionaries, superheroes, um, you know, all these crazy good titles. But our uh, dearest title that we know them as is friends, and that's a, that we get to cultivate that, and that's been a choice. And, um, families you're stuck with, but friends you get the choice, and we choose covenant with you guys, and we choose friendship, and it's an honor to be um, to be your friends and to love you. So they're friends of this house, friends of ours. Let's give them a warm welcome, Adam Vaughn and his family, thank the Vaughn family. Thank you. Woo!
1: Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay. It is a privilege to be here. A real honor to. It's always an honor to be in upper room, and especially to be with the Simmons. They've been a huge encouragement to us, and they've taught me about honor. They teach me every time I'm with them. So, a privilege to be here. A privilege to be with my friend Steve Bowen as well. So, blessings to you today. I'm excited. I was privileged to be here last year too, but I get to have my my wife and my kids with me today too. So that's extra fun. So, uh, this morning. Um, actually let me pray for us I want to pray before I get started Lord I just pray I just pause for a second and I just I want to make sure that that I hear what you're saying to me I want to make sure that we're faithful to receive whatever it is that you want to say I want to make sure that uh, if you have something different than what I prepared, Lord would just time just be pleasing to you would it honor you would it be about you thank you Lord for your goodness, your kindness. Thank you for family, as Aaron said. Thank you for friendship. Thank you, Lord, for just a love that we can't measure. Thank you for your mercies. I us pray right now, Lord, right now, even just speak through me. I pray that we would be challenged to hear your voice in a new way. We'll be careful about what voices we do hear, Lord, and we would be so intentional about advancing your kingdom. So give us wisdom and fresh insight about how we can individually advance your kingdom. Thank you that you allow us to be part of your hands and feet in this. Thank you for things like turkey giveaways. Thank you, Lord. Will the church be what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's great to be here. It's great to be back in the U.S. I shared first service. You know, I was in Target last week, and we don't have Target. We don't have big stores, actually. We don't have many paved roads where I am. But I was in Target, and I was looking for my wife, and walking up and down every aisle and, you know, doing this thing, and it just felt like man and now I feel like I'm in the U.S. This feels very familiar. It feels like something that I've done hundreds or thousands of times, and doing things like Chick-fil-A, and so it feels great to be back, but um, more than anything, Chick-fil-A, more than anything, it just feels great to come together and be with a body of believers who are Pursuing the Lord and worshiping together and with an expectation that he's going to move, he's going to stir, he's going to do something with a hunger. That's been a very rich gift. So thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I was reminded of something uh, happened to my wife and I not super long ago. We were several hours away from the family, from the kids, and we're on our way back. And again, there are no street names no street signs. If you go in the one big city that we have, San Jose, there might be a few street signs, but it's just roads, and the roads are normally dirt. So my wife and I were coming back, and the roads were mud, and I have the little navigation app on my phone, and it's telling me which way to go, and I'm following it to the T, right, doing exactly what it says, because I'm clueless about where I am. And this is different. We don't have, you know, a gas station every 100 yards. Sometimes it's an hour or two where you have a gas station. We're just little back rows, and I'm following it. And the mud's getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and the car gets stuck. And I've got this old 1985 Land Cruiser, really cool car, stuck in the mud, right? So I get out, and I'm um, walking in the mud, and it's going up to here on me, and I put some branches and some rocks under the tires, and I keep going, right? course I get stuck where the mud's even deeper and I do it again and finally I'm stuck and the mud is so deep and somehow my tire was shredded. I don't know what I was doing and I kept giving it gas. So I was going deeper and then the tire just shredded. So I'm like what in the world am I going to do now? I'm just listening to this voice. This voice told me to come here. This voice told me this is the way home and I, uh, I try to find someone who can tow me because I've got to get out. But Costa Rica, normally a tow truck is just like a friend who has a rope. I mean, that's how it works. And so I find somebody who has a tow truck, and they're like, there's no way we can get to you. I mean, what in the world were you thinking to drive that deep into the mud? There's no way we can get to where you are. Your only option is basically to get a tractor to tow you to the tow truck. I said, all right, fine, we'll, we'll do that. Tractor tow me to the tow truck. Tractor comes, tractor rips off my bumper and then punctures the car with the fork and then uh, they take the car and of course after they take the car they steal parts off of my car and steal stuff and the whole time i'm like i was just listening to the voice of my navigation app i mean this is supposed to be like a helpful voice right it's supposed to tell me what to do and keep me out of trouble and uh, i've i've really been able to relate to this story because Sometimes I believe we have these voices that we're listening to, and they're, they're non-partisan voices, and we think they're voices that are helping us and guiding us, but they're not actually helping us and guiding us. They're not actually leading us in the direction that we want to go. Sometimes we feel stuck, and we've done what we think was the right things to do, right? That's how I felt during the pandemic. I've just felt depressed and stuck most of the time. And I thought, well, I think I'm doing the right thing, but I sure feel stuck. And so it, in the midst of the pandemic, I was pretty diligent about doing some studies and studying. And I found something that really gave me a lot of hope. And it's something that happened in what's called the patristic period. And, the, and what I'm going to share, I'll explain it. Is I guess you've probably heard most of this before. That's okay. It's really good to be reminded of biblical truths. You know, the word remember is repeated 144 times in the King James Version. Because as believers, we have what I call spiritual amnesia. We forget things, right? It's good to be reminded. And so what happened in the patristic period, boy, sure brought a lot of hope and encouragement to me. And so before I share that, I want to just lay this foundation, though. The foundation of my message is that I want us to know we have right now in this moment— what we need to advance the kingdom. Yes. Amen. Like before I say another word, before anything else, we have what we need to advance the kingdom. That's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have that. That's what it tells us, Colossians 1.27. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 say this, When you believed, you were marked in Jesus Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Ephesians 1, we have the Holy Spirit within us as a deposit, as a seal. 1 Corinthians 6, where our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have what we need right now to advance the kingdom. So here's what I studied that was really encouraging to me. Um, we know the book of Acts starts basically Jesus has been resurrected he ascends to the Father he sends the Holy Spirit uh, we have the birth of the church and we have the missionary journeys of Peter and Paul right the patristic period is what happens after that after the apostles had died after the New Testament times well then what happened and so this is what happened first century roughly midway through the first century, someone named Nero comes in, and he declares that Christianity is an illegal cult. And he begins to persecute Christians. So listen to this. This is really important. Christians are being persecuted, discriminated, tortured, and killed. All church services become basically secret and closed. There's no inviting friends to church service basically a deacon would stand outside and and block people from coming in if someone tried to come in who wasn't a baptized believer part of that church family he would not let them in so this is what the church is like closed meetings there's no outreach events there's no record of missionaries or evangelists in this period because it was too risky all their church meetings were hidden secret private but the church grew I mean, that should really grab our attention. The church grew. Again, Christians, if they are professing Christ, they know they're embracing a hard life. They know they're going to suffer. They know they'll be persecuted and discriminated and possibly tortured and killed. But the church grew. I mean, this could really grab our attention. And so I'm like, what in the world? How in the world did the church grow? this first century what did they know what did they do what caused them to be that way and i believe that it's so relevant for us today to see the church grow to see god's kingdom advance because all these things that they did that i'll share we have access to today because the truth is even before the virus the church has been shrinking across the world now 15 20 years ago the church was still thriving and growing basically thanks to the Pentecostals and the way they're just blowing through South America and Africa and Central America. But today, even before the virus, the church has been shrinking. And I believe what we can learn from the patristics, if we will give their voice the credibility, if we'll listen to the voice of the patristic fathers, I believe the church can thrive and flourish and grow. You see, the thing is, is that the reason that the church grew is just one thing. It was attractive. The church was attractive to the world around it. It was intriguing. And now, that doesn't really tell us much. It was attractive in three different ways. The first way is that the believers were so filled with this spiritual power. Their lives were marked by the Holy Spirit. First, it was a power to endure torture, supernaturally endure torture. But second, their prayers were powerful and effective, brought healing. I think it might have been Nicole who shared our prayers are powerful and effective, right? That's what James tells us. The prayer for a righteous man is powerful and effective. And what's Romans tell us? Well, Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. Therefore, I'm righteous. Therefore, my prayers are powerful and effective. So they were attracted first way by the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, to heal, to endure torture, and to cast out demons. And the Holy Spirit is an equalizer. Acts 2 says this. This is from Pentecost. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Holy Spirit's an equalizer. Men, women, young, old, servants. We have right now what it takes to advance the kingdom. We have the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite commands in all of Scripture is in Ephesians 5. And Paul says this. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's written in the plural, meaning all who. It was actually a general epistle. It was written for large audiences, all. But it's a continuous action. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's an imperative Not optional. Keep being filled. This is what I call a pleasure command because it's such good news. John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit from the time he was in his mother's womb. I mean, this is incredible. Inside his mother, Elizabeth's womb, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember John the Baptist, we have no record of him casting out a demon or doing any healing. We have to remember that part of this being so filled with the Spirit is just radical faithfulness. Radical obedience to the call of the Lord on our lives. To advancing his kingdom. So the first part. The attractive quality of the church. Which is this spiritual power. And the second part. Second attractive part of of the early church. First century. Was this, this distinctive behavior of the Christians. Christians had a way of addressing common problems in their society. For example... First century pagans would just take their babies and they would just throw them in the dumps if they didn't want them. Usually, if it was a female, and the Christians would go to the dumps, they would find these babies and they would raise them as their own. The same same example of just this distinctive behavior is in uh, same time period. Well, even earlier. Remember, Greco Roman culture, honor was the most valued commodity. And that meant they wanted to avoid shame at all costs, even in burial. And so, to help with this, Christians funded burial societies because they were concerned, even in death, that they would be buried in a way that was honorable. So, Christians found ways for all to receive appropriate burial arrangements or even in the plague in the year 250 251 this plague came through Ethiopia and then hit Rome and the Christians what did they do well most people left right they didn't want to be around the plague they wouldn't want to run the risk the Christians stayed i'm sure that there's the temptation to leave they stayed and they cared for the people who persecuted them i mean this is radical distinctive different behavior They knew that the testimony of the church was on the line. The witness of the church was on the line. In Acts 5, there's this story, and I'm just going to give you the summary, of Ananias and Sapphira. Basically, they, they sell some property, they come to the apostles, and they say, I sold it for this amount, and they lied about how much they sold it for. See, this is the birth of the church. The church is brand new. People are selling their possessions to help other people. Listen, they weren't required to do this. No one forced them to do this. But they come and they, they lie about what they sold it for. And they're both struck dead. Terrifying story, right? Uh, it says in verse 13, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Of course not. Well, I'm like, why in the world did they die? Peter lied. He lied three times about even knowing Jesus. I mean, there's a long list of biblical leaders who lied. I personally believe the reason that they died is because this was a time that was crucial to the life of the church. Because this was the birth of the church. And so the witness and testimony of the church was so important that it couldn't tolerate this to tarnish it. So I say that because, again, as believers, like the patristic fathers, our behavior needs to be so distinctive and different from the world's. Radically different. The third attractive quality of the patristic fathers was that they were what I call resident aliens. They lived as citizens of heaven. Their, their thinking and their lives weren't formed by the culture around them. See, they shared a common thinking and belief system, but again, it wasn't from where they lived. It was from what they knew to be true about Jesus. They looked like aliens, and I understand what it's like to be a resident alien. You know, where I live, I look very different. I speak very different, differently, I have different culture, I, I stand out. We, Costa Ricans are called Ticos, and we attend Tico church for years, and we're the only ones who weren't Ticos, and so we stand out a little bit. We understand, and, and it's lonely being like the alien, right? Well, see, in this first century, in this patristic period, they had this sense of Catholicity. And I, I'm not referring anything to the Catholic Church. What I mean is they had this, this collective identity. Because of the shared beliefs that they had, they had this togetherness, this commitment to it together, which enabled them to endure what they would not have been able to endure on their own. If you've ever been part of a, a team, and you know that you're together, can endure a lot more than if you're trying to do it on your own. again, they weren't formed by the culture around them. And I want to make sure that we know that we're being shaped and formed by what's around us, whether we realize it or not. We have to be very intentional about what we allow to shape and form us. Because I believe that unfortunately, the church is often Example, I believe that the church at least it's been my experience and by my experience I mean my life um, often idolizes and worships productivity like I like productivity I mean even when I'm depressed which seems to happen regularly I'm a really high functioning depressed person because I like productivity I'm still one of those guys who carries around a paper planer I love to get things done. I love to plan it out. And productivity is good. And I know what the Bible says about, definitely it's important that we work hard and we're faithful stewards with our time, our talents. I'm a big fan. He who doesn't work, doesn't eat, definitely support all that. But there's a difference between that and worshiping productivity. See, we've gotten to where we live in a culture where exhaustion is a status symbol. It's something to be esteemed. And the truth is, is the Bible speaks much, much more about rest than it does about productivity. Because if we're really going to be serious about this, being filled with the Holy Spirit, keep being filled, then we're going to have to be still. We're going to have to rest. We're going to have to be quiet. We're going to have to listen, renew our minds with the truth. The Bible is full of these verses. Thomas Merton says that, When we're busier than what God calls us to be, we do violence to ourselves. And Eugene Peterson says this. He says, we're busy because we're vain. Basically, I want people to think I'm important and I'm significant. And what better way than to have a really full agenda, to appear busy? People will think I'm important and that I matter. So again, I'm not undervaluing being faithful to work hard. But what I'm saying is that we're letting a cultural thought come into our minds when there's biblical thoughts that should be guiding us. The biblical thoughts are being still before the Lord, just resting in Him. There's a Bible verse that you've, I'm sure you've heard before, Hebrews 4, For the Word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is a powerful verse, right? A lot of preachers like to share this before they preach because they want to just remind us of the authoritative nature of God's word, the power of it. But the truth is... The context of this verse, the Word of God is alive and active, is about entering into the Sabbath rest. People love to read it without reading the context. I'll read the context for you. These are the preceding verses, starting in verse 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort... To enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The very next verse is the part about the word of God is alive and active. Do you see? It's telling you the word of God is alive and active. They will divide bone and marrow. It's grabbing your attention, but it's grabbing your attention right after it says the importance of us to rest. Listen. God didn't need to rest. He set an example for us to follow as a gift. He has our best interest at heart always. But if we don't rest, well, we shouldn't expect to keep being filled with the Spirit. We shouldn't expect to listen. We shouldn't expect to hear Him if we're not still and quiet to listen. I've had those seasons where I feel like, man, the Lord hasn't spoken whatsoever in a long time. And then I quickly realized, well, I haven't really listened either. Been busy, been patting myself on the back because I'm so busy doing so many good things. I don't think the Lord's impressed. So in other areas, we have um, we have this worship of productivity. I believe that sometimes we worship certainty, and I'm saying this again because certainty was not something that the Patristic Fathers embraced the way we feel like we need to have it. They embraced mystery. And the more that I study the scriptures, the more that I study theology, the more I realize there's just a lot of things that aren't completely clear. A lot of things that there's tension to. And the world tells us that we have to be in this polarized camp. This area or this area. You have to be one or the other. When there's a lot of tension in the middle, actually. third thing that I would say that sometimes we're guilty of is needing to make sure we're renewing our minds is that we have a tendency to want to avoid suffering at all costs. And I'm not saying that I want to suffer or I want you to suffer, but it's like it's it's the plague to be avoided. And what I want to say is that Scripture makes it clear. Ephesians 4, James 1, we're called to be mature and complete, Right? There's no way we're going to attain maturity unless we pass through some dark nights of the soul. And I'm not wishing those nights upon anyone. And I gave you an illustration. I'm not talking about a flat tire. You know, don't get me wrong. That makes me grumpy. but I'm talking about like those seasons where you're in anguish of soul. And again, I don't wish those on anyone. But if we really want to attain spiritual maturity, we have to pass through some of those dark nights of the soul. And the Bible speaks a lot about suffering. The Lord redeems it for good. It might be an opportunity to glorify Him, opportunity to witness for Him, opportunity for us to fix our eyes on Him, opportunity to manifest the fruit of the Spirit to promote the gospel. You know, suffering, historically, if you look throughout church history, the church has grown most during times of suffering. I mean, if we look about the church in China, it just doesn't make any sense. Just like this the first century patristic period. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. The church grew. So that around 313, Constantine issued something called the Edict of Milan. And he, just, he came out and said, all right, Christianity is legal now. It's okay, right? We think this would be a great thing. But then shortly afterwards, he made it the required religion, forced people to be Christians. And people professed to be Christians because it gave them certain benefits socially and politically. This began a downward spiral for the church after Christianity became legal. Why? Because the lives of the Christians were no different than the lives of the pagans. They're exactly the same. They lost the distinctive behavior. And again, our behavior is the result of our belief system. Every action that we do is the byproduct of a belief. So we have to make sure that our belief system is in alignment with His Word so that we're living out the gospel life as citizens of heaven, as resident aliens, as I call them. And I believe that we have a lot of aliens out there. Um, I shared in first service, I was here last year and I preached and I I walked out, and I connected to the Wi-Fi, and I had a text message from my oldest daughter, the young lady right here, and she said, Dad, you have my passport and Mom's passport, and they were in Virginia, and I had like 12 hours to find a way to get their passports from Ohio to Virginia, but I couldn't change my flights. I bought the cheap seats. They don't let you change those, and then I had to get back to Ohio where my other three kids were, and I'm like, what in the world am I going to do? Like, I couldn't figure out how to make it work. And so I have some of these, like, crazy friends who are like, oh, I've got a great idea. Right, Mandy? I've got a great idea. I'm like, what do you mean you've got a great idea? Oh, it'll be so fun. I'll drive to Virginia and take it. it would be fun. And she's acting like it was like, going to be a party. I'm like, this is like, it's like, this is one of those, like, aliens. She's not thinking right. But that's the kind of distinctive behavior that's radically different than the culture. It doesn't make sense in the world eyes. Because it's founded on a belief system that's different than what the culture teaches. And it changes the way we think and it changes the way we behave. And it causes us to look radically different. Causes to look like aliens. And being an alien is is uncomfortable. So this is my, my last part here. So we know that in this period, first couple centuries, that the church grew, even though they're persecuted, they met privately. is this is that what in the world caused them to be this way what formed them what made them the way they were and i believe it was two things first it was their worship listen this is one of the reasons i have such a high value really appreciate upper room i mean they have such a value for worship First century churches, remember, they weren't inviting friends to church. It wasn't seeker sensitive. The worship was all about the Lord. So the first thing that formed them and shaped them was the worship. But the second thing that formed them was catechesis. Maybe you've heard of catechism. They took it very, very seriously. If you professed Christ in the first century, if you made a commitment, because you're. You're meeting Christians in the streets, in business transactions. If you profess Christ, well, they walked you through a long process. Make sure you understood the nature of God, the nature of sin, the nature of the Trinity, who Jesus was. What's the Great Commission? What's the Lord's Prayer? These are things that you had to know very well before you could even be baptized or take the Lord's Supper. In the fourth century in Spain, sometimes the process was five years long before you could be baptized or take communion and i'm not proposing that i believe that when someone professes christ they should be baptized invite them to the table but i am saying we have to value this process of being formed of filling our minds with the truth again our actions are a result of our beliefs so we have to make sure that our beliefs are in alignment the nature of God and the call that God has for us on our, our lives on the role that we have in advancing the kingdom right here and now and we can do that right here and now because we have Holy Spirit in us but at the same time let's keep learning more and being careful about what's forming us and shaping us so it can be even more effective for the kingdom so whether we realize it or not We're being formed by what's around us. So the question is, is what are we going to do about it? Um, I'm going to invite my my wife to come up just as I I close with this. Um, We had the privilege of serving in a church in Dayton, Ohio, and I really loved the Vineyard's language of being called empowered evangelicals. just like that language. And so I say that because you're empowered. We have the Holy Spirit power. Let's, let's never neglect this. I could never emphasize enough the importance of cultivating it and developing it and being filled. I can't emphasize enough the importance of the patristic fathers or just our spiritual formations. And, and the thing is that sometimes spiritual formations don't feel productive. Right? If you're like me, it gets kicked off the to-do list because it doesn't feel as productive because I have so much to do to feed my vanity so that I'm busy. But the truth is the spiritual formations are imperative not only for us but for us to be effective in advancing the kingdom. And then the last reminder is just a reminder to be the citizens of heaven, to remember where our citizenship is so that we're not having to be polarized into one group or another. We're completely different respond to controversy and conflict different. We respond to the problems of our culture with a different thinking. We represent the Lord in that radical love and faithfulness, but also in that power of the Holy Spirit.
2: Hi. (laughs) Um, Thank you for having us, and thank you for making us feel like family. Um, This morning before first service, I was just processing with the Holy Spirit and I felt very impressed upon my heart him saying this is a house of resurrection I mean that's really powerful that you belong to a church and a house of resurrection and as I continue to process that word I wonder what might you need resurrection for in your life right now what needs to be resurrected Maybe it's from this season. Maybe it's from decades. I don't know. Um, Personally, I would just like to share that I need resurrection. (laughs) I I, I needed it. I need it. I need the God of resurrection. And um, just like Adam was talking about the truck that got stuck that we were in, and it was really, really stuck. I feel like this season has exposed where I've been really, really, really stuck that I didn't know. And um, so I just, I want us to take a minute and process that as a body because even if we're strangers, we're family. (laughs) God's good like that, isn't he? Um, And so I just want you to process, okay, God, would you reveal in me what needs to be resurrected? You know, for me, I think in this season what what God has really graciously shown me is is that my problem really isn't the problem my problem is is that through the problem i've moved away from the cross and i've lost sight of the cross because when i'm when my posture is before the cross i really don't have a problem anymore and that's the beauty of it and so i want to get back to the place where I'm like, the cross is ever before me. It's ever before me. It's ever before me. It's ever before me. It shapes my character. It shapes my thoughts. It shapes how I raise my children. It, it raises how I handle inconveniences. The cross is ever before me. I have no complaint. So I want to revive that in myself this morning and revive that in the atmosphere this morning and just remind you of something. Um, in my lostness, it was so sweet this morning, Eloise, my middle daughter and I, we were listening to some worship music, and I think she and I really like to connect through that, and so we were listening to the words, and it was a new song, and we were both like, whoa, and it, the words were, I'm prone to wander, and you're prone to chase me, so in the midst of our stuckness, in the midst of losing our place before the cross, He's he's like, I'm chasing you chasing you and I'm resurrecting you I'm the God of resurrection continual resurrection and so um, if I could just release one last scripture over you that I'm releasing over myself as well and it's the encouraging words in Ephesians 6 and it says you're destined for all things and you will rise victorious so in the battle that you are in right now you will have victory it may not feel fun it may not feel fancy, it may not feel shiny, but you will rise victorious, mm-hmm. and that is a good word, and resurrection is in this house. Amen. So I just release that over you this morning.
1: Amen. Amen. If you bow your heads, I'm going to just release a blessing over you, and then we'll, we'll dismiss you unless Pastor Aaron has something like to say. Lord, I just, I just release blessing in the name of Jesus over this church family. For all who are present, Lord, I just pray that they would know the power of your love, but also the power of your Holy Spirit in them, Christ in them, the hope of glory. Would you be stirring and refreshing and filling, Lord, when they hear your voice louder than all of their voices, and with the voices that are speaking that are not your voice, even though the voice seems seems to be guiding, Lord, would we just turn our ears back to you, lift our eyes back to you would we know your voice Lord, would we be radically different than the world around us and our thinking and our actions and our responses would we be marked just as we read from Ephesians 1 with this seal with the deposit Lord be marked by you so I just release your spirit on my friends this morning release encouraging and refreshing. Lord, whatever needs to be resurrected in their heart, maybe it's hope. I know that's what I needed resurrected in the midst of the pandemic because i wallered wallowed in my misery. Thank you for resurrecting hope. Lord, would you resurrect hope right now? By this dreaming, thank you, Lord. Maybe you need to resurrect peace. Yeah, Lord, would you be birthing peace right now? You encourage and refresh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you never stop doing us good, and that we can, even though, as I mentioned, there's so much that's uncertain. There is a certainty in that you're always, you're always good. You're always loving. You're always kind. You're always faithful. You're working things for our good. We just, would we just have so much peace and joy because of that, the confidence that gives us. So we love you, Jesus. We thank you. Again, blessings on my friends. Would they know your love this morning and they respond to it in a way that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.